Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on pain management. Hi, I'm Frank Ferris. Let's talk about a very important topic. How do we effectively assess and communicate pain? This is absolutely crucial if you and I are going to effectively manage pain. We need to know not only what type of pain the patient has, but we also need to know how it's affecting their life experience. And as I've said before, it's all about life, isn't it? Our task is not only to manage the patient's underlying illness and try to slow the progress or stop it, our goal is to help the patient have the best possible experience. And of course, you and I know pain not only affects the patient, but it affects their whole family, anybody close in knowledge, care, and affection. So let's begin. As we think about the goal, it's to actually find out what type of pain the patient has, what's the cause, and establish the severity, and look at the impact of that pain. I'd like you to think about yourself. Imagine that you've not been feeling well for a few weeks. You're not able to move the way you were. You're increasingly weak and fatigued. Over the last three or four weeks, you've had a lot of pain. Like most good healthcare workers, you avoided going to see the doctor. Finally, you did. You had a few tests, and in the last five or so days, you and your family learned you have quite an advancing illness. You've also had a lot of pain. It's now up to eight out of 10. My question for you is, how long do you want to enjoy that eight out of 10 pain for? A month okay, while we treat your disease? Oh, I suspect not for most of you. Most of you will probably say, oh, please get rid of it in the next hour or so. Well. Are you going to do that for your patients as well? And I've heard many healthcare workers say, well, you know, I'm not sure I should trust this patient. Well, should I trust you? Are you trustworthy? Are you somebody who confabulates, acts out? Or are you, in fact, somebody who's actually reliable? You actually just want to get your pain managed, and you want to get on with your life. Most people don't even like taking medications. They're real resistors. So what you and I need to understand is, as we look at the population, and in America, about 88 to 90% of folks are completely reliable, 10 to 12% of folks are actually using substances, we should trust what people say until they prove, us, prove to us that they're not trustworthy, that they are confabulating. So, and the other question is, do I ask you not only about your pain, but all your concerns about it, how it's impacting you in your life? If I don't ask, how are you going to feel? Are you going to trust me? I suspect you won't. You really want me to understand your personal experience. So the real question becomes, how much do we actually listen and for how long do we listen when we ask people questions? Several studies show us, and you can see it, certainly in my colleagues, they, they ask a question, they let the patient answer for five or seven seconds, and they're ready with another question. 
The problem is they're not listening to understand. They're listening to ask the next question. Now, if I've got a story to tell and I'm going down this path and suddenly you take me this way, are you going to hear this part of the story ever? You may never know what I wanted to tell you. So I'd like you to really use even Buckman's six steps, ask the question, and stop, even shut up, and listen. Wait for the patient to stop talking, and then ask the next question. Important that we really learn to listen. So why do we focus on pain assessment? Well, it's actually a fabulous model for how you and I might assess any symptom. We could assess nausea the same way. We could assess constipation. We can assess anxiety, depression, all using the same technique. So let's begin. So when we think about pain and doing an assessment, we need to understand the two major types of pain, nociceptive and neuropathic. The nociceptive pain comes from normal function. A stimulus causes a signal in our somatosensory system, and we perceive pain, typically describing it as sharp, aching, dull, throbbing. Neuropathic pain comes from damage to the, to the neurological system itself, actually leading to dysfunction, either hyperactivity in the somatosensory system or reduced function. There's a variety of different causes, often described as burning, electrical, shooting, stabbing, throbbing. It's often also associated with numbness, and frequently the pain experience is much greater than any kind of injury that you and I can see. This is actually a disease in the neurological somatosensory system. So to best think about assessment, let's use a real case. We're going to talk about Hector, a patient that we videoed for the EPIC curriculum back in 1999 when we created it through the American Medical Association. Hector is a 67-year-old gentleman. He has cancer that started in his colon and now metastasis in his bones. As you listen to Hector, I want you to listen to the important elements of the pain assessment. Gonzalez, how are you doing? Well, I'd say one day at a time, doctor. He was doing quite well until recently. Can you tell me more about it? Yes, I got pain in my leg. Uh -huh. Does it move anywhere? No, it's there, right there in the same spot. Is it sharp or dull? Well, right now it's dull. Burning, tingling? I don't know. I want to ask you, I want to give you a scale so that I can understand how severe the pain is. And in this scale, zero is no pain at all, and 10 is the worst pain you could imagine. And I'm going to ask you, in the past 24 hours, on the average, how has your pain been? Can you give it a number? Well, I think it's about three. And over the past 24 hours, what's the worst it's been? Like four. Mm-hmm. And what's the best it's been in the past 24 hours? When I take the medication, it's all zero. Okay, good. So there are times when you have no pain. No pain. 
Besides the over-the-counter medicine that you've been taking for your pain, are you taking anything else? Yes, doctor. My wife went to the Botanica and she bought me uh, some cream. Mm -hmm. And when she put them on my leg, she rubbed it on my leg and that helped. Mm -hmm. And also, my wife's sister, she got me some pills mm -hmm. and she says it's good for the cancer. Maybe the next time you come, you could bring them so I could see what they are. Yes, doctor. Tell me, Mr. Gonzalez, what do you think is causing the pain you're having? I think this pain is coming from my sickness. It's the cancer, right? Remember the last time you were here, we looked at your bone scan, and there is cancer in your leg in that spot, so that's probably what's causing your pain. Tell me more about your appetite. So as you listen to Hector's story, did you hear these key elements of a pain assessment? Where was it located? In his upper leg? How did he describe it? Would you say it's nociceptive or neuropathic pain? In his case, probably nociceptive, coming from his bone metastases. Was it continuous or continuous with breakthrough when he moved? Or was it just acute intermittent pain? How did it change over time? What was the severity? Did he use a scale from 0 to 10? And what was the effect of medications and other therapies? What was the specific story for Hector? We've provided you with reference cards. This is our severity assessment scale tool that we can actually use for pain and other symptoms. You could choose, depending on the patient's understanding of language and concepts, to use the visual analog scale, a line that goes from 0 over to 10, where 0 represents no pain, 10 represents the worst possible pain. And I really want you to say the worst possible pain, not worst imaginable, because many patients will say it's much worse than I ever imagined. You could use words like the ones you see here on the card, or you could use the Wong Baker Faces Scale, a beautifully validated tool for use in pediatrics or with adults. We use any of these. Or you could choose to use this as your tool right here. We have the 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, worst possible pain right here. Also important is for us to Im assess the impact of the pain. Its direct impact for Hector, is it changing his ability to move around? Is it changing his ability to do the thinking he likes? Is he actually totally focused on the pain? And his concentration is markedly decreased. Has he got some anorexia? He's not eating very much. Insomnia? He's not sleeping well. What about his mood? Is it actually causing him depression or even to withdraw? For many patients, these impacts completely get in their way. And I'm going to advocate you and I need to chart these five impacts every time we see the patient. While their pain severity score might not change, I've had many patients never drop below a 6 out of 10 on a visual analog scale. They would say to me, well, I used to not be able to get up and move around, but I'm up, I'm moving, I'm thinking, I'm doing the things I like to be able to do, I'm eating better, I'm sleeping better, I'm laughing. So they clearly ch had a change in the direct impact of the pain. 
That's what it's really all about, because it's all about life, isn't it? And we need to recognize not only do those impacts impact the day-to-day experience of the patient, but they mean that they're not going to be able to work well. They're not going to have anything that's pleasurable. They may not have the same sort of experience with their relationships. They may be quite tense, angry, stressed. And they may even become dependent, or does the whole process shorten their life? So it's really important that you and I think about managing pain quickly. We're trying to help people live longer and better. This is crucial. So we've given you this tool as one of our reference cards, how to effectively assess pain and other symptoms. You can see on the left, we've given you a short pictorial version of the five key features for an assessment, as well as on the right, the behavioral changes that patients experience. We've also added the psychological, social, and spiritual factors that can actually be affected by pain or may contribute to the pain if it happens to be total pain. Now, never forget the opportunity to do a physical exam, especially a focused exam. It's an opportunity for us to actually look more effectively for the cause, and sometimes our findings will point us towards appropriate physical therapies that might be helpful for these patients. So let's do an effective assessment and understand our patients. Let's listen carefully, and we will do a much better job. So now that you've done an effective assessment, the next step, particularly if you're out in the community and you want to speak with somebody else on your team, is how do I communicate that assessment effectively? You've probably been out in a situation where you were receiving the report from a colleague and you really couldn't understand what they were saying at all. Let's illustrate. Imagine I'm out in the community and I'm trying to call the report into you uh, about our patient Hector. You say to me, so please describe the pain. Well, and my response is, well, I'm not sure. I haven't asked. And well, so Hector, how's your pain? And Hector says, well, it's not bad. And, and now I tell you, well, it's not bad. What's your response? Come on, Ferris, what are you saying? I, I'm not getting any information from you. This can go on, and I've even seen this kind of report take up to 45 minutes to drag it out of somebody. As opposed to the right way, if I've been and I've assessed the patient, would be able to give the report in 45 seconds to a minute. If I simply use this protocol, Hector, He's a 67-year-old gentleman. He's out in the community. He has cancer that started in his colon. He's got metastasis to bone, and he's having pain in his right upper hip. He describes it as continuous, occasionally with extra pain on movement. So it's pretty constant. He would say it's 6 to 7 out of 10 in severity. goes up to an 8 or 9 out of 10 when he moves, and The medications we have him on are, let's say, long-acting or extended-release morphine, 60 milligrams twice a day with 15 milligram breakthroughs every one hour, and he's been using six of those breakthroughs in the last 24 hours. Is that enough? You understand it's nociceptive pain. 
you understand it's much more severe than he would hope for. Probably he's hoping it'll be a 1 or a 2 or maybe even a 0 out of 10. It's affecting his ability to move, maybe even his sleep if we ask him. And the medication's been helping. He's using breakthroughs. We can write a new prescription. So it's very important to make it very simple. And can you hear? I can actually do this report in 45 to 60 seconds. And you, the listener, can get on with your part of the team-based activities to manage Hector's pain. It's really easy. We don't need to make it more complex. Let's learn to do it right. And the important thing is if I follow these steps one at a time in sequence, and if you're listening to me expecting these concepts in sequence, you'll receive it quickly and you'll be able to act. This is the way to communicate pain assessment easily and effectively. Let's all try it. So it's all well and good if we're able to assess pain in a patient who's able to effectively communicate with us and really has capacity to share what they're experiencing. But of course, there are many of our patients who are cognitively impaired, could be the patient with Alzheimer's disease, could be the patient with delirium, and they're not actually able to share their experience with us effectively. To assess patients who are cognitively impaired, colleagues of ours developed a tool particularly for Alzheimer's disease. It's been partially validated in this study group. The disadvantage is it's about us observing what the patient's experience is as opposed to them being able to report it. And of course, you and I know that pain is really about perception. We can't really rely on the behaviors, but in this case, it's the best we have, and it's been shown to be relatively reliable. We rate each of these five factors breathing independent of vocalization, a negative vocalization, facial expression, body language, and our ability to console the patient, whether they have a zero for each of these parameters, a one or a two. We calculate a total score, and that becomes the pain ad score, anywhere from zero to 10. So what would you say is the score for this particular patient? An 82-year-old woman who has Alzheimer's dementia for the last four years is not able to communicate. She requires total care. During bathing, you note that she's noisy and labored breathing. She moans when rolled, frowning and frightened appearance, pushes you away, and not able to reassure with your voice or touch. Is it a seven? Is it an eight? It's quite significant, isn't it? And what we see in these folks is as we actually move to manage their pain, these factors typically improve. Now, this tool was developed for folks with Alzheimer's disease. We actually apply it in other patients who are cognitively impaired because we don't have another tool. It becomes important for at least to do some sort of assessment. And although it's not actually self-report of perception, I think with this tool, we frequently see that as we manage the patient's pain, these factors improve. So as you think about pain assessment, it becomes absolutely crucial, doesn't it? As Epictetus said, 
we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. I hope you're going to apply those principles because, of course, what we get to see in terms of the patient's pain experience is like an iceberg. It's just the tip of what is a huge impact on their lives. And you and I are all about managing the experience in order to help improve their life. Let's find out what's under the water. Great success with pain management. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.